0: ocean advocate is Stephanie Lance. Steph is a kindergarten teacher that brings her love for the ocean into her classroom in some pretty incredible ways. Hi, Steph. Welcome to the show. Hi, Allison. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you on this episode. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Cool. So I want to give our listeners a little bit of background on how Stephanie and I know each other. We Work in really similar fields, but we actually met through a personal connection. My fiance and her boyfriend really grew up together. They played on the same sports teams and all that good stuff growing up. So we actually met through them and became good friends and then have run into each other. Our paths have crossed a lot in our work lives. Stephanie now is a kindergarten teacher, so she has a formal teaching position. And she's doing some really awesome things in her classroom to do with the ocean. But I want to talk a little bit about how you got to that place, because I think it's really important to yeah. your story. So can you talk to us a little bit about where you grew up? And I know one specific instance or event that happened to you mm-hmm. in high school that really formed your, your love for the ocean and kind of formed this path that you've taken.
1: Well, I, I'm i from a landlocked state, I'm from Colorado, so nowhere near the ocean, but growing up I had a lot of great opportunities to visit the ocean with my family, and I was very drawn to it for whatever unknown reason, it was very, it was something that I always kind of had in my mind, that I wanted to be near the ocean someday, and then, yeah, in high school... I heard about this company in San Diego called Sea Camp, and my high school biology teacher was taking a small trip of kids to Sea Camp, and so I signed up for the trip, and I got to go two years, so my junior year and my senior year. I came out here to San Diego to this marine science camp, and it was a very unique experience. We got to explore the waters of San Diego, got to see Scripps Institution of Oceanography. We got to hang out at La Jolla Shores. We got to go out to the Coronado Islands, do some diving, do some snorkeling. And it was awesome. And I think I, you know, I was kind of torn after that. I really wanted to come to school out here, but I ended up staying in Colorado. I studied environmental science. And after that, I did come back to California, and I started to teach informal education, outdoor education. I just thought it was a great opportunity for me to come out to California to get to know the state a little bit more and to explore as a naturalist and as a teacher informally. And after my experience working for, I worked for Naturalist at Large. That was the company that I did outdoor education for. And then after that, I decided to explore San Diego a little bit and settled down here and ended up actually working for Sea camp which is kind of a crazy twist of events. But um, because I knew so much about it from high school and I had been in the outdoor education field, I thought it was a great fit for me. And so I got to work at Sea camp and teach marine education to elementary, middle school and high schoolers typically from landlocked areas that came to San Diego. And I I got to teach them about the ocean. I got to take them snorkeling, tide pooling, even boogie boarding or kayaking in the bay. I worked there for about a year and a half, and it was a really great experience. And I learned more about the ocean, and I, I learned a lot about teaching. And then after that, just decided that I couldn't really imagine myself not working with kids. So then I went and got my master's at UCSD in education and became a teacher after that and I'm definitely driven by my work outdoors and so a lot of my teaching definitely I take that into the classroom with me and I am excited now to be able to teach at a school where I can take my experiences from outdoor education and and bring them into the classroom so I I teach a lot about the ocean I teach a lot about environmental science and it's something that makes me really excited and it's something I'm really passionate about
0: so you grew up in a landlocked state, like you said, you got to go to this awesome ocean camp yeah. and then you actually, after a bit of time passed, you actually started working at that sea camp that you went to as a high school student.
1: Yeah. Um.
0: So that's awesome. And obviously you were a great fit for the job because you had actually been a camper that really enjoyed the camp and you could really relate to the campers once you started working there, I'm sure. So you mentioned that this job at Sea Camp and your and your other job prior to that they were both informal education positions. Obviously the one at Sea Camp being about marine science and the ocean, and then you've now transitioned into a more formal teaching position as a kindergarten teacher at an elementary school. So can you talk a little bit about the transition between working at Sea Camp as an informal educator to making that decision to get your master's and become a formal
1: educator? Yeah, definitely. I think there are a lot of great things about informal education that are really, they're so natural. Usually when kids come to an outdoor camp like Naturals at Large or, or like Sea Camp, they're coming and they're just being completely immersed in that environment. And it's a really transformative experience I think that's one of the things that really stayed with me after my experience in high school that you know I was in that environment I was surrounded by it and it was really it was transformative it was it guided the rest of my decisions I think throughout my life so it's a really cool place to be in as a teacher you are then the person that's helping guide this experience for those kids and I think I think that informal education takes a lot of those pieces, the, you know, being in that environment, you're learning the content right there. You're learning about a sea hare and, you know, there's a sea hare right in front of you. So it's a really natural experience. And it's something that I definitely was thinking about as I was moving into formal education. I was kind of toying with the idea of how can I keep these experiences that kids get when they come to camps like this, but you know, keep them with me as I teach formally. Obviously I learned a lot about group management and managing large groups of kids when I worked for these other companies. And then as I decided to get into formal education, you know, I learned a lot of new strategies about working with kids and and managing kids, not only outside, but now in the classroom. So those are really helpful. Yeah, so I think I think that moving into formal education, I, I just kind of had those things in mind. Like, you know, I wanted to keep them in my practice a lot. And I think that, you know, it definitely maybe depends on the type of school that you're at, if you're able to keep those experiences in your teaching. And I'm, you know, lucky enough to be able to teach at a school that is a project-based learning school, so I can, to the best of my ability, bring Those passions with me into the classroom, and then also have the opportunity to take my kids outside the classroom to experience those things as well.
0: And so, right now, you are a kindergarten teacher at High Tech Elementary, North County, San Diego. When you were finishing your master's program and you were having some job interviews with some schools around San Diego and trying to decide which schools we're going to be a good fit for you. I know that high tech elementary definitely stood out to you because of what you just said. It seemed like you'd be able to bring those informal education principles and practices into your classroom at high tech elementary, maybe a bit more easily than at some other schools.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that Throughout the interview process and throughout my job search, I really started to realize that schools that really encourage teachers to follow what they're really passionate about changes the entire culture of the school. And I, I, was, I really sought out schools that, that made me feel that way, that made me feel excited about teaching what I know and teaching things that I'm really passionate about in addition to the content. I felt very comfortable at that school, and so, yeah, I was definitely drawn to it.
0: And so you said that high-tech elementary is a project-based elementary school, and you obviously do a lot of projects with these kids throughout the year on all different types of subjects, but obviously this podcast is about the ocean, so uh, I'd like to highlight some of the things that you do in your classroom that are, you know, revolve around the ocean. So, The first time I actually came into your classroom was last year in the spring. I came in to talk to your class about the trip I was gonna go on to Antarctica. I was going on a research expedition to Antarctica and obviously we're friends, so we had talked a lot about it and you thought it would be a great idea if I came in and spoke to your class about the fact that I'm a marine biologist and I'm going on this trip and here's what I'm gonna study and here's why it's important. So Why have you jumped on the opportunity to have speakers like me, and I know you've had other speakers, come into your classroom? Why do you think it's important to do that?
1: I think, you know, one of the things that teachers do in a project-based learning environment is bring in experts, and it's great to have an expert in the field come into your classroom. Not only does it show that, you know, what they're learning can actually be sought after and developed as a career option. But it also helps to bring in knowledge of that content area and just put it right in front of the kids. And And the great thing is that we practice deeper learning competencies. So really, these are just skills that we're encouraging students to develop as they go through our school. We want students to basically develop these skills that they would use in the job field. So one of them is just mastering core content. And the experts that we bring in, you know, help to teach that content. And also we want kids to think about how to communicate effectively and how to ask effective questions. And so it gives students an opportunity to ask those experts questions that they've thought of beforehand about that subject area. And, you know, even develop questions that maybe even that expert might not know uh, the answer to. So we get to think a lot about the scientific method and how we ask questions and how we go about solving those. So it's great to have those people come into our classroom for us to you know learn from them and to practice these skills.
0: When I was in your class, your kids were <laughs> asking such great questions. They're so interested. And then even after I had left, you had them write down even more questions and draw pictures about things that sparked their curiosity after I had visited I was definitely blown away by your kids competency in asking questions and their way to really dive into what I was saying and their curiosity in it so that was really cool so you you have these experts come in and sometimes they're talking about things related to the ocean like I was but you also have a really really awesome project that you've now been doing for two years with your class and a few other classes at your school. And this is a project all about tide pools. And I've gotten to be a part of the project in a few different ways, which is really awesome. Do you want to take us through the project, through the steps that the kids go through and what the project's all about?
1: Yeah, definitely. Essentially, it's a 12-week expedition into learning. So we start about the end of December, mid-December, and then it culminates in March. So for those 12 weeks, students basically get to dive into the tide pool environment. We start out by learning just about water and the ocean and how ocean water is different from freshwater, where water comes from, a little bit about the water cycle. And we end up in the beginning of January, we end up... Sort of launching our project at the same time as visiting the Birch Aquarium. And so students get to attend a session at the Birch Aquarium where they're learning about tide pool treasures. They get to see these animals firsthand. They get to figure out why these animals are so special, why, why they're treasures that live in the tide pool. And actually it was great because this year you got to teach our <laughs> tide pool treasures class, which was great. And this was kind of like their first experience with these animals. And so it really helps to launch our project, get them really excited. Throughout the next couple of weeks, we go tide pooling at a site here in San Diego. Our first tide pooling experience was up in Carlsbad. And this is great. This is one of the awesome things about working in San Diego is that there are tons of places to go pretty close to our school that we can see some of these animals firsthand. And I'm used to taking kids tide pooling and you know, this is something that I did with my other job. And so it's just a really great thing for me to be able to do for my kindergartners. And so we experience the tide pools together. And then we we sort of introduce this question that drives our project. This year our our question was essentially how can we learn about the animals that live in the tide pools and how can we teach others about how to protect those animals. And so through my collaboration with Shelley Glenn Lee, she is a science teacher at high tech elementary North County. So she teaches K five science. And so we collaborated on this question. And so my kids go to science three hours a week and they get to experience science with Shelly. And then also, in the classroom, we are, you know, we're reading nonfiction texts about tide pools. We're learning about the ocean through a variety of different things, just videos, books, and just really natural inquiry-based learning. And so, yeah, we, we go about trying to answer this question. And students become an expert, a five-year-old expert, on a tide pool animal, and they are in charge of learning all about that animal. And together, we all learn about each other's animals. We had fourth graders at our school who helped facilitate that research. And when we would learn something new about our animal, we would then write it in our own nonfiction books. So every student had their own informational text about their animal that they started to write at the end of January, beginning of February. And Throughout February, we were really trying to figure out why these animals are important, why the tide pool is such a special place, and how we can really protect the tide pool when we go. So we got to go to the tide pool one more time. We also had some experts from San Diego State. Some graduate students come with some animals to our classroom, and we got to learn a little bit from them. What drives the end of the project is being able to communicate our learning to an audience. And sometimes that audience is just our parents, but sometimes we get the opportunity to deliver our information in a really public way. And it's really great that we had the opportunity to work with Birch Aquarium again, to present our information to guests at the aquarium. And so on March 9th this year, we set up our exhibit at the Birch Aquarium and presented our learning to our families, but also to just guests that were at the aquarium. And so this is great. Five and six-year-olds are speaking confidently. They're communicating effectively. They're talking about the process of writing their books. And they're reading their books to people at the aquarium. And it's it's a really awesome experience to witness. <laughs> you see these like really confident five and six-year-olds. And a lot of people were pretty impressed because it's basically the culmination of everything that that we did, all these moving parts, all these pieces kind of coming together, and we get to share our learning together. So it's a pretty great 12-week experience where kids really just get to dive into this entire habitat and learn about it and then teach others about it.
0: And I actually got the opportunity to be at Birch Aquarium during that exhibition when the kids were presenting their tide pool knowledge and they had their posters set up and they're all wearing matching tide pooling shirts and they have their notebooks that they're reading out of and it was super, super cute um, and also really informative. So I want to actually play a few sound bites right now. I brought a little microphone with me when I was at the exhibition and while I was talking to the kids, kindergartners from Steph's class as well as some first graders from another class. I brought this little microphone and I was asking them questions and I recorded it. I'm going to play just a few little sound bites right now so you guys can get a feel for what that exhibition was like. (laughs) The <laughs> barnacles find a spot on the rock and it for their entire life. Don't take the rocks to the barnacles and might be living on them. The volcano limpet lives in, in the tide pool. I like the
1: volcano limpet. When you have full moon and new moon, you have extremely high and
0: extremely low. It's pretty high. Because the moons are all affecting the top. Don't leave trash at the typos because it might hurt the animals there. I
1: saw Oh, wow, those were great.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was such a fun event, and... They really know so much about the tide pools. I mean, that one girl, she explained to me an entire food chain in the ocean, even about how plankton get their energy from the sun. So that was really (laughs) incredible. It blew me away when she was saying that. So great job on your part. Obviously, you really got through to those kids. And I think that that's really representative of the whole project and how it's laid out. You teach them all this in-depth knowledge at first, and then you bring them to Birch Aquarium and have an awesome teacher that teaches them. (laughs) Um, And then you actually take them in the field, and then you have experts come to them with animals. And you have older kids, these fourth graders, helping them to do their research, and their writing, and they're working on it in their science class. I mean, they're really, really, like you said, diving into the subject. And I think that that was really evident when I was talking to these kids at the exhibition, because they really knew what was going on. They were really into it. And I don't really know many kindergartners that know that much about tide pools or science or the ocean. So it was really, really impressive to me. So congratulations on all that, because I know it was a lot of work to get them there.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, I think it helps to have such an authentic experience together. And it's great that right here in San Diego we have great access to this environment and you know access to great teachers and great facilities like the Birch Aquarium to experience together and so it's it definitely helps to have that close and yeah i think kids authentically want to learn more once they've been shown this world they ask more questions they you know the food chain bit was actually it came at the very end we read a book called Who Eats Who? And all of a sudden, so many kids had so many questions. And so we got into this huge in-depth conversation about the food chain, and we created our very own food chains. And so that was just kind of like an authentic way of you know, learning about this right there, because they had a question. So we just, we went for it. We learned more about it. And I think the whole project kind of builds confidence in asking questions and builds confidence in knowing a lot about one and. I think it's developing those academic mindsets for kids. They see themselves as learners, they see themselves as scientists.
0: Yeah, and I think it builds their confidence, it builds their skills and their mindset of themselves. But I also think that it really builds their sense of environmentalism. You know, one of those main questions that you're asking about this project is how can we protect? this tide pool habitat you know how can we tell others to protect this tide pool habitat and so in talking to many of the kids at the exhibition many of the things they were telling me is like when you're at the tide pools don't step on the animals and don't take the animals home with you or don't leave trash at the tide pools some of the kids were really adamant about that so I think it's really awesome that you're you're building their confidence in all these kind of academic achievements but you're also just really building these young environmental stewards. They're really passionate about protecting this environment that they've just learned about. So that is awesome. Obviously, I'm a big supporter of that. And I did want to mention that, so I'm not sure if this year's book is fully done yet, but I know that the book that your students created from last year's Tide Plane Project with their art of their animal and a sentence about what they learned about their animal is actually available in the Birch Aquarium gift shop, which is so awesome that you guys published a book and the kids can see a real product that they created. And so if anybody's listening out there and you want to check that out, if you are in the Birch Aquarium San Diego area, definitely head to the gift shop and check out their book, Is it just called Tide Pool Treasures or? Um,
1: The book that we wrote last year is called Treasure Our Tide Pools. Um, Okay. Yeah, you can find it at the Birch Aquarium and then also the Tide Pool website that um, you can purchase the book directly from there as well.
0: Oh, okay, cool. I didn't know you could purchase the book online. Yeah. So that's even better. So if our listeners have the internet, (laughs) then you can also purchase this book. The art is really awesome. These kids are so creative. And the sentences that they wrote are just genius to me. So, so great. So, yeah, I'll definitely be posting that link to the their project's website so you guys can have that link if you do want to check out the book or purchase it. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about NGSS. I know that you are an early implementer of NGSS, which might sound confusing to some of our listeners that have never heard of that at all. But um, can you tell us a little bit about what NGSS is, what it means, and what it means to be an early implementer like you are?
1: So NGSS is a progression towards a new set of standards for teaching science. And as an early implementer, I am part of a grant opportunity where schools in California are kind of coming together and learning about the the shift in these standards and how to effectively teach for these new standards. And, you know, and that involves um, a couple of professional development days outside the classroom where we're really delving into what makes these standards unique. And there's the core content, but then, you know, there's also the science and engineering practices that we're trying to encourage students to do through our teaching. So there's a lot of elements to the new standards that teachers are kind of trying to wrap their heads around and trying to figure out how to best teach them. I think the really great thing about NGSS is that it inquiry-based learning. These science standards aren't, you know, they're not just the rote learning skills that the science standards kind of used be like oh just learn what a cell is and then go from there instead students are asked really in-depth questions and they're trying to figure out for themselves what is a cell what what is inside the cell and you know that's obviously higher than kindergarten but the content standard that kindergartners learn is about a habitat so what is a habitat and what do animals need to survive in a habitat and so shelly my teaching partner collaborator At High Tech Elementary. She was having kids build their own habitat and observe like a scientist and recording what they see and then asking questions about that habitat. That's just kind of one example of how students were introduced to this content standard. So it was kind of gradual and they were dictating it themselves, they were allowing it to flow at their speed. So a lot of the practices are just you know obtaining data communicating information very much like those deeper learning competencies carrying out small investigations and using forms of writing and drawing to share their their observations and their experiences so i think that the ngss standards make it really easy for schools to get into science and get really excited about it and they are definitely a better way for kids to find an attachment with science because they get to experience it in a different way, in a way that they are asking questions and they are trying to find answers. So it's definitely a great opportunity to be a part of that early implementers program. And I will be a part of that for the next couple years as the standards are unrolling here in California.
0: I've been introduced to NGSS a little bit, being an educator at Birch Aquarium and obviously working with schools like yours and others in San Diego, I almost like to think of NGSS as learner-based learning rather than teacher-based learning. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the teacher is guiding the experience and the lesson, but it's very much so driven by the learner. It's like the student is helping themselves to learn maybe even more so than the teacher. Does that make sense? Or? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's definitely, you know, it's teacher as facilitator. And a part of what we do as our professional development is we learn, we, we learn about how we can guide students through this process of figuring out the answer on their own. And so a lot of that comes down to the questions that you're asking students. You know, are you asking a question that's basically giving them the answer or are you asking it in a really taking a step back kind of way that's getting them to really think about what their answer is. And then the great thing is it's really accessible. So students can communicate with drawing or they can communicate orally. And so it's really accessible to all learners. And I think that's what makes these standards really equitable and really a nice step in the right direction for education.
0: And high-tech elementary and kind of the whole high-tech school system, fundamentally is a project-based learning school and has already had some of these NGSS-like characteristics within it uh, before NGSS even came out. So has it been a large transition, a difficult transition, or would you say it's been fairly easy for you teachers at at High Tech Elementary to, to implement these standards?
1: I would say it's, for teachers at high tech, it, it definitely helps to have um, an environment already where you are project-based and inquiry-based. And so for us, it's been pretty easy. There are only a couple of shifts that we need to make in comparing how we're teaching with the new standards. And I think for schools that are a little bit more traditional, um, the shift is a little bit tougher. And. It definitely helps to have that project-based foundation, but it's not impossible. It's, it's a shift that might take a while, but I think that ultimately it's a shift that needs to happen. We, you know, we need to encourage students to be thinking in this way. It's going to better prepare them for fields in science you know, in the years to come. I think it's, it's just a, a more comprehensive approach to, to teaching science that will make a big difference.
0: Yeah, and I I think it's great that you and the other teachers at your school in these kind of NGSS-based projects that you're doing or the projects you're doing that align with NGSS, that you're having a website for that project or you're posting about it online on a blog or something like that. Because I think that there's many other teachers in San Diego and throughout California and just throughout the world really that could really learn from what you and your fellow teachers are doing. So I think it's great that you guys are putting that online, showing them here's what we're doing, here's how we're doing it, here's how it aligns with these new standards, and they can potentially apply those same things to their class um, and have an easier transition. So that's really great that you guys are, are doing that. So I guess I'd like to ask you, do you have any advice for teachers? You know, whether it's a teacher at a school like yours or a more traditional type of school or just a teacher anywhere in the whole world, what would your advice be to teachers?
1: I think what really drives me as a teacher is teaching to my passions. I think that drives my yearly <laughs> view of my of my class and of my progress with my kids throughout the year but it also just drives the day to day. I think that when I teach about nature and the ocean and the environment, I get really excited and that excitement transfers to my students and I see that come out in them, which makes me really happy and it, and it gets them excited about something that I'm excited about. I think when you infuse that passion even if you're not necessarily don't have the opportunity to do a project that you're excited about, but just infusing it into your everyday, like include it in your morning message or share a a snippet of your weekend where you got to go hiking or you got to go snorkeling and encouraging students to maybe get out of their comfort zone a little bit and and experience new things. I think I think that definitely drives me as a teacher and it makes me excited. every day to be able to work with these young minds and encourage them to experience something that might be new for them that might be something that that they've never done before so yeah teach to your passions
0: that is great advice and I love that your passion is the ocean and the environment so I want to thank you for all the positive things that you're doing for the ocean I mean you're really educating the younger generation on tide pools, on the environment, on the ocean, and so many other great things. And you're really, like I said earlier, making them young ocean stewards. And we definitely need that in the upcoming generation. So thank you so much for all of your positive work for the ocean and also for being on the show today.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really proud and excited to talk about this.
0: Great. Well, listeners, you can find the links to Stephanie's Tidepool Project website and her Twitter and her digital portfolio um, all on my website once I post the link to this podcast episode. So definitely check those out. And if you feel really inspired by Stephanie, whether you're a teacher in a formal setting or an informal setting or you're just someone that is really inspired by what she's done with her students, definitely reach out to her on those channels so again thanks so much Steph thank you you just heard Stephanie Lance kindergarten teacher with a passion for ocean and environmental education to learn more about the topics discussed in this podcast visit my website at allisonrandolph.com and tune in to next week's episode of Ocean Allison to hear another conversation between me and someone creating positive change for the ocean